Sometimes on other days, you just feel flat, a lack of drive, a lack of zest or motivation, and it's really difficult to even begin a task in the first place. What if what you do while you're not working is actually the number one determinant of your success at work? Hey there, Rian Doris here, co-founder of the Flow Research Collective, along with New York Times bestselling author Stephen Kotler, and welcome to Flow State Unlocked, where we decode the neuroscience of flow states so that you can use these states of profound peak performance to sharpen your focus, triple your productivity, and reach your goals in record time. Picture this, it's 11 a.m. You're getting bombarded from seven different directions, Slack messages, emails, a call from a boss or employee. You're both underslept and a little over-caffeinated and feel that frenzied sense of fatigue and alertness, leaving you frazzled. This is what some mornings are like. Well, if this sounds familiar, it may seem like fatigue or low motivation or chronic stress, but it's likely something different, what scientists refer to as allostatic load. Now, allostatic load was coined by two researchers at the Rockefeller University, McEwen and Steller. And allostatic load describes the physical wear and tear on your body and mind that occurs from constantly adjusting to life's pressures. If not properly managed, this allostatic load increases over time and spills over into subsequent days accumulating in our nervous system and building up. And unfortunately, most of us never clear the allostatic load that accumulates. So you can think of allostatic load kind of in terms of working out. If you endlessly did bicep curls without giving your bicep adequate time to recover, eventually you'd hit a point where you literally would not be able to lift your water bottle off your desk. However, if you allow your bicep to recover between the workouts over time, your bicep will not just function optimally, it will be stronger than before. You'll be able to lift more weight off your desk than you could before. An allostatic load works with your nervous system in a similar fashion. So when your allostatic load is high, it implies that your body and brain are in a constant state of adapting to new stress, with your system releasing more stress hormones like cortisol and adrenaline, altering your body's homeostasis and cognitive functions. Whereas in contrast, flow state is associated with a balance of certain neurotransmitters and hormones in the brain, like dopamine, norepinephrine, endorphins, anandamide, and serotonin, which promotes focus creativity and problem-solving abilities. And this flow cocktail is disrupted under a heavy allostatic load. Your productivity suffers, like trying to drive with a parking brake on. But long-term, it can be even more severe. Our health can deteriorate, career lifespans shorten, and big goals become increasingly impossible to reach due to physical limitations. So to perform at your peak and get into flow, clearing your allostatic load regularly, ideally every day, has to happen. And what we're going to cover are three ways that you can do this. So you can elevate your productivity to new heights week after week and have your bicep go stronger rather than getting to the point where you can't lift a bottle off the table. And this starts with transforming yourself from what we call an average knowledge worker whose biology is constantly dragging them down and working against them, impeding their progress into what we call an executive athlete someone who uses their biology as a slingshot that propels them toward their boldest professional goals. Now, a number of years ago, two researchers, Jim Lore and Tony Schwartz, wrote an amazing article in Harvard Business Review called The Corporate Athlete. And I want you to consider this analogy from that article. The average professional athlete 
spends the majority of their time training and only a small percentage of their time actually competing several hours a day at most. The typical professional, on the other hand, devotes almost no time to training, yet you have to perform on demand eight, 10, 12 hours a day or more. Athletes enjoy several months of off season. Most executives are fortunate to get three or four weeks of vacation a year. The career of the average professional athlete spans seven years. The average executive though is expected to work 40 to 50 years. And this is a problem. The failure of professionals to train and recover like athletes ends up being a lid on performance. Conversely, the most elite performers treat themselves and think of themselves as executive athletes because they understand one crucial thing, which is that energy is the lever point for performance. It's not the hours in the day, but the energy in those hours and how it's allocated that shapes our performance. And that's because the number of hours in a day is fixed, but the quantity and quality of energy we have available is variable. So elite performance is grounded in the skillful mobilization of energy and the elegant back and forth between two states, which we're going to talk about, exertion and recovery. Now, Let's learn how to channel your energy as an executive athlete. So the first step is to raise the ceiling with recovery. Now again, Jim Lohr and Tony Schwartz use this term oscillation to refer to a process of rhythmically moving between exertion and recovery. Think about the last time you had a heavy workout. You're grunting, you're sweating, you're feeling the burn. It feels like your muscles are bulging and growing right there on the gym floor. But in fact, the real muscle building happens later during recovery. This process is known as supercompensation. When you stress a muscle through training, the muscle breaks down and then after a recovery period, the capacity or the strength of that muscle increases. However, if you continue to stress a muscle endlessly without a recovery period, there will be no increase in performance, just chronic damage. And the reverse is also true. If you don't stress a muscle at all, your muscles will become increasingly weak over time, they'll atrophy and you end up with limited capacity or strength. In both cases though, the enemy's not the stress that you're putting on your muscles. The enemy is what Tony and Jim call linearity, which is the failure to oscillate between these two states of exertion and of recovery. Now here's the key. Recovery determines the limits of your exertion, which is why it's as important as the work itself that you do when exerting. To perform optimally, you need to systematically increase your exposure to stress through exertion and then enter these periods of deep recovery, which you then emerge out of super compensated, rejuvenated, charged up with expanded capacity, the equivalent of a stronger bicep after the recovery period. Now that you know that you should be oscillating though between exertion and recovery and that 50% of what is most important to your professional success is the recovery side of the coin, how do you do it? Because you know what exertion looks like. That's just your work. That's whatever you've got to do later today or tomorrow, whatever tasks you have in your to-do list. But how do you actually recover? And what even is it? And that brings us to step two, which is recovery over relaxation. Most of us fall into the trap of equating relaxation and recovery. You know, after a strenuous day at work, you recline on your couch and you catch up on your favorite Netflix series. You might even pop open a beer or two. This kind of feels like recovery, but unfortunately it's not. It's merely relaxation. At best, it's like putting a band-aid on a leaky pipe. It might stop the drip for a while, but it does nothing to fix the real underlying problem. Relaxation feels good subjectively, feels like we're recovering, 
But relaxation doesn't flush out the stress toxins that build up in your system, contributing to your allostatic load. It's not kickstarting your parasympathetic rest and digest system into action, and it's certainly not replenishing the precious neurochemicals you've used up during the day while exerting and hopefully being in a flow state. Active recovery, on the other hand, involves some activity that actively promotes healing and rejuvenation, both mental and physical. Now, when under stress, our bodies trigger the sympathetic nervous system, fight or flight, releasing hormones like cortisol and adrenaline. These hormones help us focus and perform, but can cause damage when levels are consistently high. So recovery methods activate the parasympathetic nervous system, which counteracts the stress response, promoting rest, digestion, recovery. It clears out a static load and allows us to recharge. And this balance or oscillation between sympathetic and parasympathetic activity is key to preventing burnout and then optimizing performance. Active recovery is kind of like the on-off switch, the interface to our nervous system that most professionals dream of but never find. They never learn how to click that switch. Active recovery is so important for flow that it's in fact non-negotiable. And the final last stage of the flow cycle, which includes struggle, release, flow, is recovery. So how do you actually do this? How do you start to put active recovery into practice? Well, here's a list of active recovery protocols that we recommend, and let's walk through a few of these to give you some examples. So breath work is one. Practices like the four, seven, eight breathing method and box breathing can help stimulate the parasympathetic nervous system, the body's relaxation response, which can decrease heart rate, lower blood pressure, and enhance cognitive function. One of the nice things about breath work is that a lot of people don't succeed with meditation because meditation is, is simple but not easy. It's complex, whereas breath work involves running a certain breathing pattern, and if you do so, you will get the result. It's more bottoms up and nervous system based and works great for that reason. Now, the next one is cold therapy. Cold exposure stimulates the production of norepinephrine, a hormone and neurotransmitter that can improve mood, alertness, and focus, and it triggers vasoconstriction and vasodilation, which enhance circulation and recovery. So jumping in an ice bath after work, rather than relaxing in front of the TV, is gonna do tremendous things. And a critical point, relaxation and recovery are distinct. Things that actually result in really effective recovery can be not relaxing at all, like sitting in an ice bath, but high in recovery. You get out of that ice bath, an hour later, your nervous system, your allostatic load is gonna be lower, even though sitting in that ice bath was the least relaxing thing you could possibly imagine doing. Now, heat therapy, regular sauna sessions, or hot baths, massage or structural integration therapy, myofascial release, using tools like foam rollers or lacrosse balls, to help alleviate muscle tension. Again, something that results in recovery, but doesn't necessarily feel relaxing as we're doing it. Meditation, which we talked about, it is more challenging for most, but can be a tremendous form of active recovery. Exercise and the anandamide flush that you get post-exercise can be phenomenal for regulating the nervous system. Hiking and spending time in nature, amazing forms of active recovery. Dr. Andrew Huberman, friend of the Flow Research Collective, and his research out of Stanford has shown that literally just looking at wide horizon lines in nature has a calming and soothing effect on the nervous system. And then sleep. Sleep seems passive, but sleep's actually a highly active state. You're consolidating information that's been newly acquired. Activation in your amygdala is being reduced. Your glymphatic system is getting cleared out. Your muscles are being repaired. So even though sleep feels passive, it's very active. But how do you know if one of these active recovery protocols is actually working for you? And maybe you're thinking, well, what about this other thing that I like to do? Is that active recovery? Does that count? Well, there's two 
litmus tests to tell whether something is counting for your nervous system as active recovery. The first one is an objective one, and this is actually using a metric called heart rate variability, which is a key indicator of stress and recovery balance in the body. If you're doing a certain active recovery protocol and your HRV is increasing over time, this is likely functioning as recovery for you. Now, the second litmus test is a subjective one, and this is that it gives you such a dramatic neurophysiological reset that it feels like you've had a mini vacation. One thing I always like to do is in a long evening or a full day off, I stack a lot of these active recovery protocols together in one go. And then I come back into work on Monday with that just back from holidays feeling where your nervous system is all smoothed out. You've kind of forgotten about the details of work and the intricacies of the day to day, and you're ready to hit it again. So you wanna be able to get that two week vacation feel in hours with the right active recovery protocol. Now, if you're someone who loves the grind and you take pride in your ability to outwork others, I want you to know this, recovery is part of the work. Recovery gives you the optimal state within which you'll be able to perform your highest quality work. If you're working late in the office on a Sunday thinking you're getting ahead of the competition, the irony is that the exact opposite is likely happening. You'll be beaten by the person who is letting the nervous system level up on the Sunday with recovery protocols because they'll hit Monday morning with a superior nervous system to yours. Peak performance comes down to out oscillating others rather than outworking others. It's fast and deep recovery, fast and deep exertion, deep recovery, deep exertion, again and again, that rapid oscillation that is what signifies the winners. It may even be the case that the more hard charging you are, the more you need active recovery because you are more likely to have an increased sympathetic nervous system. Now, if this sounds like you, the key is to overcompensate recovery. That means as you become more swamped, sleep more and recover more. The intuitive thing to do is to ditch recovery when things get really demanding and stressful so you can cram in more work, but this is completely backwards and counterproductive. Instead, as work piles up and deadlines loom, lean into the active recovery. So schedule your active recovery routines similarly to how you schedule work tasks. Bake them in every day, take an hour. You might have daily practices that you do in the morning or in the evening for recovery, like breath work in the sauna or taking an ice bath or walking in nature. Then every week, you wanna take a day where you stack these sorts of active recovery protocols. Maybe on that day, you go for a swim in the ocean, and then you do a workout, and then you go for a hike in nature, and then you have a nap, and then you get a massage, something like that. Stack the day with active recovery protocols. Then every month, we wanna do a three-day period fully dedicated to recovery, which ideally also includes a digital detox during this period, where each day, we're filling our day with these active recovery protocols. And then every quarter, you wanna take a full 10 days, one week plus two weekends to reset and have active recovery be the number one priority. And then every year, you wanna take that full two-week vacation for a complete reboot to clear all that allostatic load that's built up over the previous year. Now, there's still one more piece to the puzzle for becoming an executive athlete. And this final piece is even more difficult than recovery, especially for ambitious professionals. Live like a lion. When you understand these first two pieces, that you need to be oscillating from exertion to recovery, and that active recovery is the form of recovery you want, not passive recovery, then you start to be able to live like a lion. Because a lion is either sleeping with the pack or sprinting to kill its prey. When it's time to kill, they do it fast. Then they return to recover. You can work in the same way. View it as a ferocious sprint followed by exorbitant recovery. 
When you make work binary like this, you allow your nervous system to recalibrate so your output can reach previously unattainable levels. And it seems counter to what you often hear. You've been told to do more faster, that the key to elite performance is about being able to fit more tasks into your day, but that doesn't work. That causes busyness, not progress. And the result is just reaching the end of a workday, feeling drained, looking back and realizing that you only did a couple of hours of real work in the first place, with the rest of it just being low value distraction, reactive work, fracturing your attention and sapping your energies. It's a terrible feeling, wasting away hours of our life in this mode of half working, this gray zone, but not enjoying our lives either. And so many people's careers get swallowed by this. Instead, executive athletes work in a binary fashion. They are more or less always in one of two states. Either they're working with 100% intensity in sixth gear or they're 100% switched off, unplugged, recovering deeply and enjoying life. And they ruthlessly eliminate everything in between, fully on, fully off, that's it. And that way, the next time you come back to push, you can push even harder than before. Until you integrate active recovery into your life, your limits remain unknown. The ceiling can go up and up and up. Rian here again. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Flow State Unlocked. If you want to catch this episode with all the visuals and lots of fancy, beautiful animations that we put together so you can more deeply understand these concepts, then head over to our YouTube channel. Go to youtube.com forward slash Rian Doris, and I'll see you there.